Thank you. Right. Are you suggesting that someone's trying to make a real-life sequel? Stab 2? Who'd want to do that? Sequels suck. No. Two in the box! Ready to go! We be fast and they be slow! Wow! A second Super Saiyan? Second in order, perhaps, but by no means in stature. Your fight is with me now. And when I kill you, I will have killed the last Jedi. Man, I can't fucking believe this. Another basement, another elevator. How could the same shit happen to the same guy twice? Oh, please, please. By definition alone, they're inferior films. Hey everyone, this is your host Chris uh, Inside the Sequel. This is the podcast where we talk about sequel movies and give them love and appreciation that they deserve. Uh, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. I hope you t enjoy today's episode and you should definitely dive in to uh, many of the other ones we have with such wonderful guests. I'm very excited about today's episode uh, because we have the special guest Carmelita is here. Uh, Carmelita, if you don't know, she's a mutual friend. She has been on Daniel's Cobwebs, the Gothic Cinema podcast. She's in the Dana Buckler uh, podcast as well. She's like kind of like big time for those of you who are listening. And she was so lucky. And oh, I'm, excuse me, I should say I was so lucky to have her on here to talk about a very special sequel movie. It's one I've been wanting to do for a while. Uh, and that is the 1995 smash hit from Robert Rodriguez. We're talking Desperado. I was visiting a bar, and in he walked. You saw his face? His face? No. I mean, every step he took towards the light, just when you thought his face was about to be revealed, it wasn't. It was as if the lights dimmed, just for him. They called him a loner. I know who you are. Really? You kill drug dealers. They killed the woman I loved. You ruined my life. They called him a miss. You've heard stories of that man that carries a guitar case full of weapons. Find him and kill him. I hope you don't think you can take someone like Uchol by yourself. Really? They made the mistake of calling his bluff. Is there something in the guitar case? A guitar? Now, it's time to face the music. Let's play. Desperado, the new film from Robert Rodriguez. So if you don't know anything about Desperado, it is the sequel to 1992's El Mariachi, which is another smash hit indie film uh, directed by him. It was actually his first debut film. And uh, Desperado is the sequel to it. And boy, was that also a smash hit. And Carmelita agreed to come on and uh, talk about it with me. But before we get into that today... Um, for those who don't know about Carmelita, I'd love for you, um, her to kind of talk about some of her favorite movies and maybe even the sequels um, to you all. So, Carmelita, do you like sequel movies? Hi, Chris. I, you know, not all sequels are created equal, but <laughs> I do enjoy a good sequel. I, some of my favorite film franchises, some of the sequels are some of my favorite things. So, I'm really stoked to be here talking to you on Inside the Sequel. I am definitely not big time. Don't, <laughs> that's hyperbole, but I am a pop culture junkie. I love movies. And, you know, if, if someone has, has made a film, but there's more story to tell, or there's great characters that we want to see more of, I mean, why not have a sequel and do that? 
And I, I think some genres are probably more sequel friendly than others. Action films like Rambo. They just, you know, they just did Last Blood. So I'm presuming that will be the last. But I would watch Rambo movies for the rest of my life. You know, with Last Blood, when Last Blood came out, I was like, we're doing this, eh? Cool. Let's keep going. Yeah, I'm there. I will be there. I even got kind of choked up at the end of Last Blood because it, it just felt like, I don't know, like the closing of a chapter, you know, but then there's other films that I refuse to accept sequels. Like the one that comes to mind is the Blues Brothers. I have never oh. seen Blues Brothers 2000. I will never see Blues Brothers 2000. I just can't get behind that. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, there are some sequels that are sometimes even better than the original and you just love them so much. Um, Mad Max Road Warrior comes to mind. But mm. I grew up watching sequels. I mean, we loved watching movies. We watched a lot of movies at home, <laughs> at the movie theater. Um, my family, like we didn't have a lot of hobbies or didn't take a lot of trips the one thing we kind of did as a family was go to the video store or go to the movie theater. So grew up watching a lot of movies, love sequels. So stoked to talk about this today. Oh, good. When you, when you said family time to go into the video store, literally like the same thing, <laughs> we, it would get to the point where we would make multiple trips a week. And my mom would be like, don't tell your dad we went back to get more movies. <laughs> and I was like, hey, lifts are sealed. I got to I got my own stack. I was good, you know. So Yeah, it was the best. It was it was one of those like there's nothing like a Friday night at the video store. And, you know, you have all weekend to watch movies and you can just load up. Mm -hmm. And I love the box artwork and I love there was nothing like that experience of you see the cover art you have no idea what this movie is but you're just like i have to see this and so you know we would just grab from all sections of the <laughs> store except for the roped off one of course oh yes yeah we we yeah uh, for us at, it was a family video it was like a saloon doors and i'm like i don't like westerns and even to begin with so i'm like i'm not even gonna go with that section <laughs> You know, so I, we, we just, we loved movies. And so it's been kind of a lifelong thing. And, and this, the movie we're talking about today hit me at a time when I was uh, a teenager and I was really getting to experience a lot of films on my own, not stuff that my dad picked out, not stuff that I just kind of caught on TV, but that I could actually go and seek out on my own and get really invested. That's awesome. And yeah, it was, it was a good time. Did you growing up, did you have a family Were you, were you brand loyal to like a certain video store? Like your family would always go to, and then you would just go to, cause for us it was family video, like 100%. Yeah. So there was, and I don't, I rack my brain. <laughs> this is, this is my middle age showing. This is I like, no, these are your thoughts at night, like, like two, 2 a.m. You're thinking, what yeah, store was What was that? the name of that family video store? Because we, we had like a mom and pop locally run um, video store that was, you know, like a five minute drive from our house. Oh, that's so cool. So we, we went to that one all the time. But, you know, as I remember when Blockbuster came to town. 
And so then, oh. you know, there was there were some things that weren't at the mom and pop shop. So you had to go to the Blockbuster and we kind of started going to the Blockbuster more and more because yeah. it just it was bigger. They had more selection. Mm-hmm. And then a Hollywood video came in. To oh, town. boy. Yep. <laughs> but I, we we kind of stuck to the the home, the homegrown store and the and the Blockbuster. And then like you had this is actually funny. I was thinking about this last night because I. D- talk, knowing I was going to talk about Desperado, I went on this whole Chicano cinema oh, perfect. yesterday. And so I was watching Zoot Suit and I was remembering calling around to all the video stores, like calling them on the phone to find out yeah. who had a copy of Zoot Suit because they didn't all have it. Mm-hmm. And if they did have it, they were only going to have the one copy. So you had to call ahead first and be like, hey, do you have Zoot Suit? And if they said yes, you know, you knew you had to like rush down there so that someone wouldn't grab it out from under you. Yes. Those, I remember those you know, days. Those were the days. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Desperado for me, you know, what's? I feel like this is like with a lot of movies for a lot of people. So I actually started with Once Upon a Time in Mexico is where mm. I first started. I don't know why, but it was like on TV or something. And I watched it and I loved it. I, I mean, that movie came out, I think, like, what, 2002, 2003. Um, oh and I just watched it and loved it. And then I watched Desperado later on and loved that. And then I knew about El Mariachi, but I actually didn't watch it until getting ready for this podcast because I already had watched Desperado at the end of last year. So I just was like, you know, screw it. We're just going to watch Desperado again. You know, why not? So <laughs> that's so great that you had like, um, you know, you calling into video stores like, oh, like those were the struggle days. I remember going to like to the library and just scourging through their DVDs to see if they had something. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so Desperado, this was. So this movie hit mid 90s, 95. And this is one of those movies like that time in the mid nineties was crazy. Like my life was off the rails. <laughs> I won't get into that. So I do not remember if I saw this in the movie theater or if I saw it as a new release from the video store. But what I do remember vividly is how exciting it was for Robert Rodriguez, a young director of Mexican descent, a Mexican American being part of this wave of up and coming indie writer directors who were getting recognition, who were getting their stuff out there in the mainstream. It was so exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Chicana, as uh, someone who identifies with their Mexican heritage, it was like, it was such a big deal. It was so cool to have a story set in Mexico, people speaking in Spanish and not like Castilian, like proper Spanish, no, we but the Spanish that. <laughs> that we were speaking at home, yeah. the Spanish I was hearing at school and around my community. So this was a really exciting movie. It was really cool to see um, Robert Rodriguez be part of this thing that was happening in, in film. And yeah. And for me to be at a point in my life where I was really paying attention to that stuff and to, to feel like I was a part of yes. this moment in history. <laughs> Porque tú eres mexicano, ¿no? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah good. Because I, I grew yeah. up near the Chicago area and the huge Hispanic population. And it was like Mexican, you know, average uh, Mexican immigrants and... Uh, that, I mean, we watch a little bit of um, um, films from Mexico. Like uh, my mom really enjoyed, um, especially because this was Salma Hayek's first movie, like a, her breakthrough performance. Right. And 
like when she did Frida, you know, like my mom loved that movie. Selena, you know. Oh, <laughs> yeah. These- no. And that was a time where it was like there what there hadn't been a lot of films that that kind of delved into the culture of Central and South American peoples prior to that. You know, you get one here or there, you get a stand and deliver. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or <laughs> born in East well, yeah. LA, a comedy. Yeah. So what? There wasn't much, and and in the '90s, you were starting to see a little more of that, and you had that whole Latin explosion in music happened around the same time. Oh and yeah, Black- yeah. Selena was, was having her Glacius crossover. And stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was like a whole thing. So it was kind of an exciting time to to be coming of age, and and see. Um, people that I, I could identify with, um, on the big screen here, I'm coming through the radio. <laughs> that was a really, it, there's a, there's a very sentimental, it's a very personal feeling. Like I oh. could go off on a social justice tangent. <laughs> oh, 100%. I'm not going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to say from a very personal place. Um, I remember being really excited about, about seeing Robert, what Robert Rodriguez was doing and the stories that he was telling and the actors he was casting. Um, it was oh, just, yeah. it was exciting. Yeah. You know, I actually, um, you know, Robert Rodriguez, I mean, he just kind of grew up with it. I was born in 96 and, um, you know, the spy kids movies, shark boy, lava girl, you know, these, these kid friendly movies with like, you know, you saw like Antonio Banderas, like growing up watching him and then he ended up doing Shrek movies and, you know, uh-huh. you, you saw Danny Trejo growing up, you know, and then you had Jennifer or Angelina Jolie doing, Made in Manhattan, you know, and then she made like The Cell. For some reason, my mom loved The Cell from her, which is an insane movie. Um, or not Angelina Jolie, sorry. What am I saying? Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez. Uh, at, you know, Jenny from the Block. So uh, I just remember watching a lot of Hispanic movies growing up that like my mom liked. Um, mm. And it just influenced me. And when I got into the 2010s, I would say, because that's when I was in high school. Um, at the beginning of that decade, I started going to family video, like you kind of did like by myself with like my mom doing her own thing and I would do my own thing. And yeah, I would start gravitating towards a Mexican, um, section because like gravity was coming out, you know, and Alfonso Mm -hmm. Caron and then, you know, Alejandro Izuratu, you know, like he, he was breaking out and obviously Del Toro was a huge part of growing up. I remember watching Pan's Labyrinth way too young as well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like I, I I don't think I realized how dark it was growing up. I just thought like, Oh, there's a ugly, nasty frog in the tree. And that's really, see, you know, (laughs) um, but yeah, I, 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 it's funny. It's like, you know, you were seeing at the beginning of the 90s and it's like, I, you know, I, I feel I, I relate to that. I definitely like remember getting that excitement to explore these Mexican filmmakers. And Robert Rodriguez is like a special kind because he just broke so many different genres. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. No. And I think one of the things that really comes through in in this film that you see, you get so to back up for a second, <laughs> for people who saw Desperado but never saw El Mariachi, to go back and then watch El Mariachi, it might be a little confusing. Like, is this really a sequel? Yes. It, it, yeah. Desperado is absolutely a sequel of El Mariachi. But El Mariachi is such a low budget. $7,000. Yes. That's how it was branded, too. They said the movie that cost right. $7,000. Like, that's what I made mean, it. I it's baby. crazy. 
But even with that small budget, even with that um, cast that was a lot of amateurs, mm -hmm. even with all of the limitations of that, you could already see kind of Robert Rodriguez's style. And El Mariachi, it's like, you know, he had the budget and he was able to cast and... And it really starts to come through and you see some of those threads, even in his, even as his career has progressed and he's doing things like spy kids and, and whatever else it's like, you can see in Desperado, you can see kind of his style emerging. You can see mm -hmm. the things that he does really well, the, all the places where he really excels. Um, all like he loves gadgets is yeah. <laughs> he loves he gadgets and you start to see that here. Um, yeah, it's weird that, that, that early, that mid nineties to late nineties when he's coming out was like the growing of the independent film genre, yeah. you know, for, for American films, like the Coen brothers were coming out at that time, you know, Tarantino, you know, um, which, you know, Tarantino's in this movie and, um, oh, yeah. looking at it, watching this movie in 2021 and seeing Tarantino in a Robert Rodriguez movie, you're like, oh, that's like a match made in heaven. And they knew that right away. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, and they collaborated several times mm -hmm. in that time period, four rooms, uh, from dusk till dawn. And then, you know, later on with the grindhouse mm -hmm. and they, you would see them in press photos together. And I can remember, I mean, that was really exciting because I mean, we all love Tarantino. We were all really excited about Tarantino. And, and so for, for he and Robert Rodriguez to be collaborating was really cool. And they had a very, um, compatible way of storytelling. But there was, in that era, you had these Gen X, kind of older Gen X guys who were coming up, who were writing stories and then directing them and insisting on directing them and making it happen with small budgets and, and all of these limitations. Um, but they were getting recognition and they were, they were having success, you know, people like Kevin Smith and, um, John Favreau. Oh yeah. I mean, all of those guys. So it was like this whole thing. And, um, it was really, it was a really cool time to be watching movies and seeing different <laughs> stories, you know, cause like the first time we saw Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction, I'd never seen anything like that before. And yes, of course, I think <laughs> we all know Tarantino loves Scorsese. Yep. There's a lot of homage to different things and black exploitation and whatever else. So it was not, it's not that he had no influences, but it was just the way he went about paying homage, the way he went about telling those stories was different. And Robert Rodriguez is no exception. It's like when I watch Desperado, I can see the influence of telenovelas. Yeah. <laughs> you can see, um, you know, when I was watching it uh, in preparation for our conversation, thinking about like uh the wild bunch some of the shootouts in desperado very much remind me of the wild bunch peck and paw with those you know the slow motion shootout scenes mm -hmm. you know so it's it's you could tell these are guys that love film that grew up idolizing filmmakers and they had stories to tell and they went out and told them in their own way it was, it's, it's just, it's a, it was a great time in the nineties yeah, for you, that. Yeah. I just, 
I don't know. You, you know, there's something special about watching movies made by people who love movies. You know, like yes. you can tell like some of these directors absolutely are film nerds. They're geeks, you know, yeah, like, Tar- absolutely. like Tarantino with his martial arts love. Like, you know, when you watch a Tarantino movie, he'll have to put something with martial arts on there. Um, Robert Rodriguez, I know, was very much an artistic background when I like read up on his history. Like he wanted he was doing doodles and artwork and did cartoon strips. You know, that's where he got his production company, Los Hooligans, you know, because he was doing comic mm-hmm. strips. Um, and, you know, that's why he ended up doing that Frank Miller Sin City film, you know, and right. he want in you can see a lot of like I, it feels like cart- not like goofy, like it's bad, but like pulpy it's 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 goofy it's fun you like i don't like i don't know when you watch a robert rodriguez movie it's you just have a good time you know like alita for example like people were already dismissing alita but my gosh talk about a movie that's serious crazy gadgetry but also really funny and a good time only rodriguez can do that kind of thing you know and and that's why um that makes his movie so special. And like, I mean, I'll defend Spy Kids. Like Spy Kids 3D is an amazing film. Like, I mean, I'll go to the grave saying that. And the first Spy Kids, um, I don't know, just like I, when you grow up with certain actors and like directors, they hold a special place. And, 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 you know, and I think that's why Rodriguez is just so highly touted, at least in my opinion. And I'm glad to hear you do too, because um, I mean, he's. I feel like he's getting a renaissance again. Like he's been working and working for so long, but yeah. now he's blowing up again. He's doing a Star Wars episode, and he did Alita. Like it's, I'm loving to see this, and I want to see him making more stuff. Well, that makes two of us. Like I said, <laughs> like when you know his debut, it felt so personal. It was just so exciting, um, you know. And and I think you know the Spy Kids and stuff. I was. I was kind of not paying attention to that. So I kind of got away from him after Sin City. And so it's it's nice to hear his name again coming up and seeing him in the credits and knowing that he's you know, he never stopped working, but but to to have him be working on continue to work and and now I'm kind of coming back around mm-hmm. to seeing the work that he's doing and and it is and it's exciting. He's good. Yeah, you know, and before we even talk about Desperado, we got to talk about El Mariachi because I just saw it for the first time. And I don't know too many people who have actually seen it. And even though it is a $7,000 made film, but of course it got a huge um, upgrade once the the studios picked it up because it did so well at Sundance. I mean, this movie, I think was $7,000 and then they gave... I think it made 25 million or something crazy like that. Mm-hmm. It was insanely, insanely successful. And um, I think it works in its favor with the, like kind of like the dirty film spots and the, um, the, the, insi- I, 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 sometimes when I was watching the movie, I kept thinking it's like, he put a camera on like on a wheelchair and pushed it, you know? Yeah. And it's like yeah. goofy antics of the camera work. That's there. quick cuts. The dialogue is, it's a very simple story too, but, and it's a incredibly short movie. It is, I think, under i think it's just at like 82 minutes (laughs) but it flies yeah yeah it's it's short a very simple story but a story that that has kind of all of those big themes that Mm -hmm. make for engaging storytelling um and i i really appreciate that you know he didn't have obviously didn't have budget to cast any, you know, real professional actors, just a handful. 
Yep. Um, most of the folks are, are amateur and they, they just look like people on the street. Mm-hmm. And it, but it works for building this little, this little town where the story is set and kind well, of giving you hometown. that feel. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, El Mariachi. I remember I heard about the buzz, but hadn't seen it. It wasn't until, it wasn't until the success of Desperado that then I was able to get El Mariachi on VHS mm-hmm. to rent. Cause you know, my, my hometown, like they didn't have a lot of, you know, they're pretty limited in the indie films that they were stocking at the mm-hmm. the blockbuster. So, or at the local spot. So I didn't see El Mariachi until after I had seen Desperado. Um, but it was still, it was in the 90, late 90s. So um, it's, yeah, it's a really interesting film just in that what he was able to accomplish with such a small budget and mm-hmm. how you can see all of his potential for storytelling. Yes. I I, th- I think the same thing too. It's it's very much uh, a continuation throughout all of his movies. And I think that's a good, strong trait for good directors. Like they have a signature or they keep something in all their movies that's consistent. Like, I mean, Spielberg is such a big part of like that trope of like, he has a special touch. That's why you can tell like a Spielberg movie is a Spielberg movie. Uh, you know, you can, when I watch a Rodriguez movie, I know it is a Rodriguez movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that first movie to see it where it all started is insane. And like, so like to put it into, uh, uh, to compare it, um, I've been wa- going back and watching a lot of um, Pedro Alamovar films. And mm-hmm. those were late 80s, early 90s. Like those were, right. talk about, you know, Telemundo, you know, like those movies are definitely, could have been on that show. Like you watch El Gordo and La Flaca and like that's going to play on right next, right after, you know. And I just, you know, after watching those, I'm like, hey, it's pretty good. You know, it's a, it's the comedy, the dark, the dark comedy of it, that, that, the Hispanic touch. I, I dig it. And then um, Antonio Bader's got his breakout role with Pedro and then, watching now El Mariachi for the first time a couple nights ago, I'm like, oh man, like I like this way more. <laughs> like, okay, like this is why it was a big deal. This movie is different with a capital D. Um, so like I was so surprised by it, like so surprised. And it has a very high rating. I mean, it is consistently throughout the board of reviewers, like re- highly regarded and rightfully so. Um, I remember digging some some details about the movie after it was made and uh, I know Robert said he only made the movie just to go to straight to video releases. Like it was just, yeah, that was like the he intention. didn't have very much um, high hopes for it. He only did it. The only reason he got to filmmaking was because he um, did some short films. He got denied to go to, he didn't do well in school. So he didn't go into film school, but he won a f- local film contest in Mexico. And from there on, he was accepted to film school and he started making shorts. And, and then he did El Mariachi on the $7,000 budget. And then, from then on, he he edited it, wrote it himself, and everything. Like guy was committed. No, absolutely, and it's. I think one of the really cool things about Desperado, I love how. You know, it isn't completely retcon, El Mariachi. No. Yes. Even though they've recast the the title role mm-hmm. of El Mariachi. You have some of the flashback scenes where they they recreate the scene with Antonio Banderas. <laughs> yeah, but it works. Like even it, even though it is a little weird, mm-hmm. it works. And I love that he's he's not trying to sweep El Mariachi under the rug. 
you know, with its $7,000 budget yeah. and, and just the huge difference in production values between the two films, it's, you know, you still have those, those touches that come through in Desperado that let you know that these two movies are tied together and that it is a continuation of that story, even though, you know, you've got a, a, a spendier cast. <laughs> yeah. Like he brought, I'm like, I was surprised to see Moko like in the beginning of Desperado. I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's the same guy. That's awesome. I swear when watching El Mariachi, um, he's like, he must've watched a few Bond villain, a Bond movies. Cause like Moko feels like a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah. Like the all white and talking like Azul uh-huh. and asking if he still wears all white. And he's like, yeah, I love that. That it, it just, I, that's such a callbacks to like, I can tell movies he really liked. Um, but so with after so you saw Desperado first and then El Mariachi yeah. um mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought up that it didn't retcon it because I was always under because before even watching El Mariachi I always thought that Desperado was kind of like a remake of sorts um mm. which you can I feel like kind of take it as such but also at the same time you miss a lot of good stuff if you didn't watch El Mariachi right you know what it reminds me of in a lot of ways it kind of reminds me of Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Yes. Nice. Where it's a sequel, but if you didn't see the first one, you can get by without it. And there's certain details that from the first one that have been kind of changed or casting's a little different in the second one. But it's definitely a sequel. So if you yeah. watch the first one and then you watch the second one, you can see the through line. You can see it's a continuation but it is possible to just watch the second one. Um, and Desperado is similar. Yeah. And um, man, like watching a mariachi and the ending of that movie definitely, sh- I mean, ballsy for a movie of that budget to have an ending like that, where it looks like it is ready to set up a sequel movie. Yeah. That's yeah. what I kept thinking. I was like, man, this guy was playing chess and we were all just, you know, playing checkers <laughs> at that time. Like he knew what he wanted to do. Um, now, one thing about, um, Robert Riga's is you talk about like, um, the, uh, the, the planet terror, like, uh, the grindhouse with mm-hmm. Tarantino. That's one of the few movies from him. I actually haven't seen, I, um, or, or from dust till dawn as well. So you'll have to be my guide, um, in those, <gasps> oh because my I know goodness, you're a you have movie to fan. <laughs> so from dust till dawn is so much fun and it's, you know, it's his collaboration with with Tarantino, I think probably their most famous collaboration. And from Dusseldon is really kind of in some ways it's like there's a there's a point in the movie where it kind of shifts from where you have the heavy Tarantino vibe and then it kind of shifts into uh, a heavy Robert Rodriguez vibe. But, I mean, I don't know how much you know about the plot of the movie. I don't want to spoil it for you. So I'm just going to say (laughs) that you have to see it. If you you love Tarantino's work in the 90s, if you love what Robert Rodriguez is doing, which you do, then you have to see From Dust Till Dawn. It's (laughs) so much fun. And it has, you know, again, that same pulpy vibe about it it's got the elements of you know kind of the uh, crime action um but some elements of horror it's just it's a really cool flick 
You it seems like see there it. was a because it's a vampire film, no? Mm-hmm. See, I feel like the '90s. Uh, this is a good question for Daniel, but <laughs> I feel like the '90s because I recently also watched Vampires from Carpenter, and then like I know Francis Ford Coppola did. Um, Dracula in 92. Was the 90s just a resurgence of just Dracula yes. movies? I was there. I was there. I wanted to be turned. I can tell <laughs> you right now that the 90s, there was a huge kind of boom in the interest in vampires. And you had, you, I mean, you had, you had some of that starting in the 80s, um, you know, with things like Fright Night and Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. But it was still kind of few and far between. The early 90s hits, that momentum has been building from the 80s. And then it's like, you know, so the Anne Rice books, the Vampire Chronicles start to get a lot of attention, even though she'd been writing them since I think the late 70s. Um, but they're they're getting recognition. You have people playing vampire role play games. <laughs> like, so I grew up in Salinas, California. And we used to go because Selena's, there's like nothing to do. So we would drive over to Monterey, home of Cannery Row, a lot of those Steinbeck <laughs> stories. We would drive to Monterey. Not that there's much to do in Monterey either, but there was always, there was always the vampire, the masquerade kids who were like hanging out down by the wharf, dressed <laughs> in velvet and black bondage pants and role playing <laughs> vampire stuff. That's awesome. Oh yeah, no. And there was um there was this television show that was actually based on that role play game. Um Kindred the Embraced was a television show in the uh-huh. 90s. It only had 8 episodes, but it was all about vampire clans. You had um so you had the Vampire Chronicle movies like Interview with the Vampire. Um there yeah, there was this whole resurgence and there was this shift in in the whole idea of vampires as being these romantic figures in the nineties. It was a lot of the sexy vampire trope. <laughs> that was kind of a big thing. Um, and dust till dawn. One of the cool things about that particular vampire film was that there's, there's still some, there's still some sex involved, but they're definitely going back to being scary again. Oh, and you start to have that shift in in vampire lore around that time where it starts to they start to have vampires not be quite so brooding and sensual, mm-hmm. but kind of a mix of that horror. So, yeah, it was a good time to be a vampire fan in the 90s. <laughs> it's so fascinating. Like, it, it's crazy how things grow. Like, I guess it really is like trends, you know, like like decades trends, you know, and resurgence oh, yeah. of like old things. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I just, when I'm um, watching this, I was thinking like, oh, I haven't seen from dusk till dawn. But I'm pretty sure that's a vampire movie. I'm like that's like three vampire movies in a decade already. I'm like, what's going on here? Yeah, no, that's your homework. You have to see it. Oh, <laughs> you have. That to. would be sweet. Yeah. I, I, I'd love to also rewatch Sin City. Um, I, I think Zack Snyder probably watched that and like thought, I was like, I want to do things like that. Um, but yeah. I didn't, I watched that very young as well. Uh, that's basically a real big trend of this podcast is where I just openly admit to watching movies at an incredibly young age. Um, but uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's other Rodriguez movies I haven't seen yet that uh, that I really, really need to see. I don't know. Also, uh, Danny Trejo. We'll talk about him um, oh, in Desperado. But um, 
yeah, he's someone I feel like I've grown along with. <laughs> no, like, absolutely. Speaking of like resurgence, I thought like when Rodriguez in like the early 2010s, I was like, is he going to like slow down? Because he was doing like Machete and then he didn't. I was always waiting mm -hmm. for Machete kills and like it took forever for it to finally come out. Um, I'd love for him to do a third one. I'm not going to lie. Like get another trilogy in there. Oh, I'll be there. <laughs> if they do another sequel to Machete, I'm there. No question. <laughs> it's a good time. They're fun movies. Mm -hmm. And it's again... Rodriguez has he can he can do mexploitation. Mexploitation, I like that. <laughs> and I'm here for it. He cuz you know, you can just tell that he has this love for um for that kind of the grindhouse film and and action sequences and that pulpy quality and I just love that. So, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. Well, let's get into Desperado very quickly cuz um that movie, I would just to start off the bat because it came out in '95. So I felt like that's a quick turnaround for for from El Mariachi to this. Like a movie was made pretty quickly, yeah. um, and he got ten times the budget. My math's wrong, but he started with a budget for this one at seven million. Which I wonder if that's a callback to a seven thousand dollar budget. And they're like, how about we give you a million instead of right. a thousand? <laughs> <laughs> but this movie also. Did incredibly. I like when I was looking at the numbers. I could not believe how overtly successful these movies were. Um, it made well over twenty million dollars. So it's like I guess the, in the nineties and early twenty two thousands, like he was the safest director to get work to because you get your money back and then some. <laughs> but uh, he brings Antonio Banderas, which he's blowing up in the nineties because you talk about like Interview mm -hmm. with a Vampire. I mean, he was in that. He was in a couple Pedro films. Um, he was obviously in this. Um, he was also in Philadelphia. Like he he was blowing up in the '90s, and then he had Salma Hayek. Steve Buscemi's in this movie to start mm -hmm. start it off, which I think is a welcome addition. And he obviously shows up in more Tarantino movies and obviously in Rodriguez movies too. Um, but his character's name is Buscemi as well. <laughs> but they never say his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta say. The opening of Desperado is one of my favorite movie openings. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's awesome, but Steve hilarious. Buscemi walking into this cantina. It's a dive, and and just him telling a story. It's just Steve Buscemi telling a story, and it's yeah. a great story. And you, it sets up for the viewer this myth, the legend of El Mariachi. Mm -hmm. He was the biggest Mexican I'd ever seen. And, you know, <laughs> the shadows followed him. And it's it's building your excitement for mm -hmm. what's going to happen next. And I love the cutaway, like the quick cutaways to Cheech Martin right there, too. Cheech Martin, Martin is the bartender and he's just listening in, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. And you have um, uh, Tito. Tito, uh, what's his last name? La Riva. Oh. Tito Loriva had been in a bunch of punk bands in the 80s, um, and he went on to be in a kind of bluesy rock band, Tito and Tarantula. But he's in this. He plays Tavo, the other guy that's mm -hmm. talking to, to Cheech's bartender character. Mm -hmm. He's great. Their banter <laughs> is awesome, and it yeah. reminds me of, like, people I know. <laughs> uh, so I just – I love – not not dissimilarly to Tarantino, 
you know, this film has some great dialogue, some great mm -hmm. kind of banter between characters, great story and the storytelling, the weaving of these legends that yes. El Mariachi is. What I think, um, is I think with of. such a strong suit of Desperado and Antonio Banderas as El Mariachi, he feels vulnerable. He never, cause like they talk about these tall tales and the action scenes are, they have comedy and they're, they're pretty brutal violence as well. But at yeah. times I also think, man, he gets his ass kicked a lot in this movie. <laughs> yeah. It shows so, how much he's changed and also been himself from El Mariachi till now. I love absolutely. that. No, this role, seriously, as far as I'm concerned, this is the perfect role for Antonio Banderas. <laughs> I, and it's and it's still kind of in the long in the, you know in the big grand scheme of things it's still pretty early in his career to me he's never better than this like this is it's perfect because he is he's a man's man he's got all that swagger <laughs> it's like he literally smolders but there is vulnerability he does get his ass kicked he does run out of ammo mm -hmm. like he's not a superhero uh you know he has this he develops throughout the film this kind of rapport with this kid that that lives in the village mm -hmm. who's kind of just playing guitar on the streets and and so you see how much he cares about this random kid you see that he has um you know he has like a code of honor even though he will gun down an entire bar full of people yeah. You know, there's, he's got, there's nuance to this character and Antonio Banderas really plays into all of the different facets of the character. He's bringing you romance. He's bringing you action badassery. He's bringing you this kind of fatherly figure. I buy that this man plays music. <laughs> I buy that he will kill a room full of people. And I buy that he's just a, really just a regular guy on a revenge kick. It, yeah. it just works. Yeah, I like how we don't have to see all of his, like you said, revenge. It's just, it's, um, it just, it's just told very easily. Like, oh, he's just been killing drug lords, just trying to find the one, you know, that's responsible. Which I think some parts of it is a little confusing because the bad, the the bad guy in the movie is Bucho, um, and mm -hmm. who I mean, the uh, let me pull up the actor who plays Bucho, uh, Joaquin del Almeida. Um, I think he's wonderful. Um, he, he kind of, ha he has like that, uh, that Mexican accent, but it's a little bit more Americanized. I love that. Um, but then I, once I pieced it together, I was like, oh, so he was actually, it was like henchman, like, like Moco in the first one was like a small time dealer. Right. And Low level. Bucho is the big one, you know? So right. a little unclear there, but I kind of like how it just builds, builds, builds. Yeah, it works. It works it's believable that there's this hierarchy and, mm -hmm. and I think also, which they don't really say explicitly, but you could kind of work, work through it. Like the thing about revenge is that just when you think that you've kind of reached your goal and justice has been served and you've gotten the revenge you were looking for in most stories, you get to that place where there's that hollow feeling like, well, I don't actually feel better. Like I don't actually, <laughs> I don't actually feel satisfied. There is no yeah. satisfying mm -hmm. because if you've had a loss, if you've had a, um, if you've suffered an injustice or a tragedy, um, you know, revenge is probably not going. It's it's not going to erase those feelings. So, mm -hmm. I love that you know, in El Mariachi, it's like he bests. 
he gets a measure of revenge, but it's not enough. And he has mm-hmm. to keep going. And it's totally believable in this film that, you know, you just move on to the next target because there's always another target and there's always that need to fill that hole and that craving for justice when mm-hmm. in this situation, like the tragedy happened and there, there really isn't justice. Yeah, that's true. Um, I just, yeah. Talk back to that kid and he's teaching him how to play guitar. I feel like there's a kid in every single one of the, of the Mexican trilogy or the El Mariachi mm-hmm. trilogy, because the first one, um, there is a kid there. Um, and then who, who he dreams about in his dream sequences, um, that he sees, which has a terrifying nightmare scene where that ball that rolls to him is a as a severed head, which I'm like, whoa, that came yeah. out of nowhere. And then there's a kid in, in um, Desperado, the same thing. And then in Once Upon a Time in Mexico, there is another kid, but this time he attaches to Johnny Depp. Um, I like just he keeps some of these themes and like these small parts of each movie and it continues because it feels like it's part of this shared world. Right. Um, but with Desperado, I mean the movie is a hard R um, you watch it now and you, and in like, you know, the 2010s now. And I still think like, Oh, this is some good action. Like this is some good violent action. When it first got its rating, he had to edit the hell out of it because it had like an NC 17 rating or something like that, you know? And I was like, it could not just be for that one sex scene alone. No way. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, it was a hard R and, I kind of am glad he stuck to his guns a little bit there. Yeah, Just absolutely. Figure speech-wise. I'm not trying to make a pun. <laughs> no, totally. It's, yeah, the shootouts in this film are epic. Mm-hmm. They're really well choreographed. They are that, like, they're just this side of over the top. But in a way that's exhilarating. Mm-hmm. Um, not unlike the John Wick franchise. Oh, where, you know, where something is like, it's just, it's just this side of over the top, Mm -hmm. but it's, but it's just really like, it brings this energy and this momentum to the, the film and this, like you ramp up tension and then there's this explosion. And as an audience, you get really, caught up in it and and he did a great job with these scenes i think antonio banderas did a great job um he he does i i love that he he does all of these like like falling backwards and (laughs) shooting and he's like pointing his toes it's like this really weird stance that you would never do in real life (laughs) But for some reason it works and it looks (laughs) badass and kind of almost like ballet. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really interesting. And you've got, I love, um, there's just guns coming out of every, there's just everyone in this bar is strapped. Everyone in this bar is packing and it is just a full on assault. Yeah. And here's the thing. I, I When I was watching Desperado, I kept thinking, oh, there's another actor that's pretty big name. There's another one there. And and, and I uh-huh. kept thinking, oh, but they're all dying. So it's like if you're in a Robert Rodriguez movie, you better hope you're not a big time actor because your character is going to die in the movie. Oh, for sure. <laughs> um, and Selma Hayek, I can't decide. I, they're both equally, equally attractive in Banderas and Selma Hayek. It's like maybe one of the most... Um, 
attractive couples in movies ever Absolutely. because I, I'm like, who has better even hair? Let's begin even with that. <laughs> Cause they both have long black hair. That's yes. thick and looks awesome. Dark wavy hair <laughs> in their face. Oh yeah. They're, and their chemistry, the chemistry of yes. Banderas and Hayek is, is great. It's, it's immediately a connection that's believable, a connection that you feel like it's palpable that mm -hmm. these people are attractive and that they are attracted to each other. And I fully believe that when they lock eyes in the street for the first time, oh, yeah. that it is on. Like, I don't doubt that for two seconds. You <laughs> feel it. And I think this was a great role for Salma Hayek. I really, I love the, the character of Carolina because she's similar to the El Mariachi character. You know, she's got some dimension to her. Yes, she's this insanely attractive woman. When she first comes in, when she's first introduced in the film, these, these two cars crash because the drivers are watching her walk across the street. Oldest mm -hmm. trope in the book. Um, but it's some hike. And so, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> I believe she stops traffic. Um, but there's more to her. She's, um, you know, she's this business, matter of fact, pragmatic business owner. And, you know, she's, she kind of gets to be this voice of the town for us, kind of letting El Mariachi and by extension us as the audience know what the average resident of this town is is living with and and the choices that they're making to survive and to thrive and she's um she's very feminine and she's she definitely like he gets her out of some scrapes but she gets him out of some scrapes too oh there's yeah. just a great dynamic and she's so she's kind of one of those characters that she embodies you know that very ultra feminine love interest but she's also pragmatic she's also driven she's also um you know she holds her own and so I, I really enjoy that about her character and i and i love that about Salma hayek's portrayal of her yeah yeah he uh rodriguez he he writes his female characters really well like domino in el mariachi as the bar owner and her confliction mm -hmm. with moco and uh, el mariachi like i love that well-written character. Same thing with Selma Hayek's character in this one and with the flashback scenes in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And I think is it um, Eva Mendez, who is the lead, I think, in the third one? Um, yes. Who, who also blows up in the early 2000s. Um, but yeah, he writes his female characters really well. And they're kind of like, you know, you could easily say that it's like, they're, it's like a Bonnie and Clyde effect, especially in desperado because they're like yeah. i mean she's gunning people down too like it's like she picks up a gun and just blows a guy off and i'm like she took that pretty pretty easily um but it feels like they're more or less like the like the stone that keeps them grounded because like these the yeah. el mariachi character is so hard-headed like he'll just go and do something on an impulse and then like domino and then now Salma in this movie like no like slow down for a second and now these other you know avoid these uh confrontations i i really like that and you know, when I've been reading about like these negative uh, reviews that came out for Desperado, like I get some of them. And one of them is always like about how it the story kind of like goes away and it gets replaced by explosions and gunfire. I don't think I quite agree with that. I feel like the movie really presents the action as like we're getting emotion and story building drama. And then now it's time for the action set piece. 
now let's go back again to more story and then here's the big huge action like they're all every action scene is a huge set piece which i love no absolutely well i think as we mentioned earlier it's this is a very simple story mm-hmm. incredibly simple i can't believe it's a like very how... simple narrative yeah. and i think that the and and i it's it's just enough it's just enough story to carry us through this the wave of destruction that follows <laughs> el mariachi as he moves towards his ultimate goal mm-hmm. but you know you don't we don't need a lot of scenes of him talking about yeah um his motivations or you know we just we don't need that yeah because the motivation is very simple yeah, when he yeah, when it comes to like action movies, you know, sometimes the story is kind of what lets them down. Sometimes it's like it's just over, just over the top action. I don't know. Is there such a thing as too much action in movies? You know, that's I mean that's a good question. You know, like I when when I read a review, they said like it's just too much action that it hurts it, and I'm like, is it like it's the same thing for a horror movie? Is there just too much horse sequences to make it right? Not, like I don't well, know. Yeah, see. I'm I'm not and I have to ask I you because you're, yeah, you're a horror fan here too like a big you horror know, fan like I think for you know if someone isn't really sold on the action genre maybe it's too much action for you mm-hmm. I don't you know I don't know <laughs> like I know my mother bless my mother <laughs> she she doesn't like loud movies. Like she's not a big fan of action films because it's so sense. loud and there's gunfire and she's just not sure. really into that. So for my mother, this is too much action, mm-hmm. but she doesn't really do the action movie thing. So <laughs> I don't, I don't expect her to, to walk out of Desperado saying that was awesome. Cause it's just not her thing. I think for people who enjoy action, this is, I mean, this is like, this is where you want, this is a sweet spot yeah. in terms of those set pieces and the way that it's, the way that it's choreographed. And I mean, I, it worked for me. I found it to be very effective. I found it to be engaging, exciting. Um, a lot of, you know, action. and this is not like, a, this, there's not a lot of hand to hand combat here. This is, oh, no. this is a whole lot of weapons. Um, so for people who are uncomfortable with, with firepower, that might be an issue. Um, are you are you a big fan of the action movie genre? I, I would say I'm not crazy experienced in it. I just notice with Michael Scott's undisputed Scott Adkins podcast, I feel like action movies has just been flooding my timeline um, right. on Twitter. And I'm learning about all these movies, these action films that I knew nothing about. To me, it was always like, oh, I thought Desperado, The Matrix – um, you know, that like, I didn't watch a lot of action movies growing up, I guess the Rambo movies, but, um, are you a huge action film fan? Cause I know you're also I am a not huge horror fan. on the level of our friend, Michael Scott, shout out to Mike. Cause yeah. he, he's on another level. He's next level. Yeah. And, and the guests that he's bringing on are next level in terms of their knowledge and the breadth and depth of their knowledge of that, um, of that genre. But I did grow up. I love the Predator movies. You know, I grew up watching anything Arnold Schwarzenegger did. We mm-hmm. were there. <laughs> I love Rambo, as mentioned before. Death mm-hmm. Wish, Dirty Harry. 
Um, I loved Westerns. My favorite Western is The Wild Bunch. I think in part because it's so violent. Um, I just have a proclivity for that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I I grew up with a lot of those big blockbuster um, action films um, and crime dramas. And, you know, so I I have maybe a middling, (laughs) a middling knowledge, kind of the more mainstream, big flashy stuff. Um, you know, and some like in the nineties, I, I started trying to, to watch more martial art films, but I am by no means on the same level as, as some of the, the folks that we know in terms of, of knowledge and exposure, but yeah, uh, I just, I'm just blown away by how many action movies actually came out in the nineties. You know, the nineties is such a blind spot for me. I always yeah. dismiss the decade, but lately I've just been looking through the catalogs and actually watching a few of them. And I'm like, where the hell was I? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, action is kind of an interesting, it's a, it's actually more varied than people realize, you know, and, and over the decades you kind of action takes on, there's, you know, there's kind of different approaches to it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the seventies, you kind of get those gritty crime dramas that involve action car chases um, and gun, gun battles. Um, you know, you move into the eighties and we start to get into that Schwarzenegger, Sly Stallone, like, you know, these big bulked up, almost superhuman action stars. And we, (laughs) and we kind of go that route and it, and it gets almost kind of political in a way. Um, the Reagan era values yeah. infused <laughs> into the action fil- films that we're watching in the nineties. It gets, I think you get thanks to in part people like Tarantino and Rodriguez and others. Um, we start to see that it's, it's more the kind of, it's more pulpy. It's, it's, we're ramping it up, making it very stylized and it's these are movies that are just fun to watch. Mm-hmm. They're engaging, and they keep your interest. And they really move. Everything moves. Um, oh, I you agree. know. So I, I think we we kind of see that as it it continues to evolve and change and different trends and and the different approaches to it. Mm-hmm. But there's there's just there's a lot to love about the genre. It's you know it's it's an escape just like horror is an escape, just, you know, just like comedy is an escape. Um, There's an energy that comes from watching a really well shot, well performed action sequence. Like it's, there's an energy from that. That's really, it's fun to watch. Yeah. And you know, I, what I, I feel like with watching El Mariachi and then Desperado, I feel like Rodriguez kind of channels in some parts of like where he grew up or like some, Mm -hmm. some things like he remembered seeing growing up and because it feels pretty personable, like some like, Oh, this character seems like someone he might've known because it's just so detailed and like this person's characteristics of personality. Um, one thing also, I just want to let people know who, if you watched El Mariachi or you watched Desperado, the run times are completely different too. Like, yes. Um, this movie's almost at two hours and, um, I don't mind that at all. <laughs> I was thinking that I was like, oh man, this is almost two hours. Let's let's see what 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 this is uh, about when I rewatched it for the first time. And man, like that's a fast like an hour and forty five minutes. <laughs> like it yeah, is it moves. 
it moves. It's, you know, it's, you get, and there are some breaks in action sequences, kind of quieter moments where, like where you see the budding relationship between El Mariachi and Carolina mm-hmm. and that sex scene. Um, you have moments like where he's, you know, talking with the the kid from the neighborhood. And so they have these quiet moments, but they all, all of these moments also help to build the complexity of the character. So they're not wasted. We're learning more about the character. We're getting kind of a break to let the adrenaline kind of come down a little bit. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. So that we're ready for the next showdown, the next shootout. Mm-hmm. I think it really works. And it and it and it doesn't I don't for me it doesn't break up the momentum of the film. It just provides us with a chance to kind of kind of cool down a bit before the thing ramps up again. Oh, 100%. And uh yeah, I think when you watch these movies side by side, they're different looks, they're different type. Like they're still both action movies, but I, I mean, I would say the narrative stronger in El Mariachi, but the action set pieces and updated, um, uh, uh, filmography of it is a little bit better, but man, I can't pick which one I like more. Honestly, it's a, it's another one of those rare cases where that, that sequel and is, is just as good. Um, I thought like, man, is that, El Mariachi movie, just lightning in a bottle, and then Desperado, um, you know, is it just like kind of a remake of sorts? And it's definitely not that at all. It is, it is pound for pound right up there with the original, or vice versa. Because I feel like people saw Desperado first, and then you get I personally really like Once Upon a Time in Mexico as well. So like you know, it's it's a pretty airtight trilogy for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I saw, I saw Once Upon a Time in Mexico in the movie theater. Oh, okay. if I remember correctly. Because I was excited because I love Desperado. And, and and by that point, I had, at that time, I had now gone back and seen El Mariachi. Yeah. So I went to see it and and then I promptly forgot what I thought about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it is so a lot messier, I, that's for sure. It's a lot messier. So I rewatched it before, because I went down this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. So I rewatched it yesterday, actually. Oh. And... I have very complicated feelings about it. There's not enough Antonio Banderas. There's not enough Salma Hayek. Like Mm-mm. they are kind of one of the, like the shining glorious things about Desperado that is, is kind of missing from the third installment. I will say it was refreshing to revisit a movie that I had forgot Johnny Depp was in. Mm-hmm. Where it this was back before my Johnny Depp fatigue. Oh, yeah. He's not too over the top. Mm-mm. Like, he's well suited to his character in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. And it was nice to actually, like, be happy to see Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's one of the strong points of that movie for me. I really do like him in it, too. He's a creative character. And the blind scenes with him i mean i never would have thought to put that in a movie but it works so well but yeah i totally agree the one problem once upon a time in mexico though i love it i i I acknowledge it it's really sloppy and it does that thing that a lot of sequels do that i don't like where it makes the people who survived the last movie have to suffer the beginning of the next movie (laughs) you know horror movies do right 
I don't like what they kind of do with that. If you haven't seen, I won't say, but there's parts of it where I'm like, really, do they have to do that? You know, do we have to do that. Yeah. And then Willem Dafoe plays a Mexican. I don't buy that for a second. No. <laughs> Um, I forgot about that too. And it's they the gave him ridiculous. a spray tan and a thick mustache, and then they oh, banned man, him. It's bad. The movie. <laughs> it's real bad. Willem yeah. Dafoe in brown face is not. And brown, not awesome. yeah. <laughs> it's not good. Well, and you know, so that's one of the things about um, about Desperado. Kind of, this is interesting. Sandwich between El Mariachi and Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Desperado has a a pretty good mix of. Um, Latino actors, mm-hmm. but also, you know, they have some actors that are technically not Latino, um, like Antonio Banderas, who is from Spain, mm-hmm. um, but he speaks, that's his accent. That's his, his, um, you know, he has that heavy accent with Spanish is his first language. Mm-hmm. So although he's not from central or South America, like it still works. Yeah. So there's a, and in that movie, there's a pretty good blend of, um, of people who kind of really represent the culture that's being, um, that the story is about. Um, but also people that, that are maybe on the fringe of that or not quite a part of that culture, but you buy it and, and it's cool. Like not Mm -hmm. an issue for me anyway. Once upon a time in Mexico, it's like with the Willem Dafoe thing, you're just like, Oh, this is a step too far. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, this just doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, Um, too far yeah um but real quick before once upon a time in mexico um when danny trejo kills that guitar maker in the beginning of the movie that is so unforgivable it it always breaks my heart i always think about that scene when i think about that movie and i'm like like that makes me so sad Yeah. No, we haven't talked about Danny Trejo and we need to do that. Okay. Yeah, we do. Cause to me, he is the Mexican. So like directors will have like their trope of actors they carry around and they're in all their movies. And I love that. Like Joe Dante has Dick Miller, um, is like my big one. Like if Dick Miller's in a movie and it's a Joe Dante movie, it's a match made in heaven. Danny Trejo for me is like the Robert Rodriguez staple. If it's, if, if Danny Trejo's in it, you know, it's going to be a good time. Right. So, so I, this film, for me, this is where we see the rise of Danny Trejo as an icon. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with Danny Trejo's personal history and his kind of story of how he got into acting. Um, if you're not, let me recommend a documentary that came out, I think, last year or the year before. So it's still fairly recent. Inmate number one, The Rise uh-huh. of Danny Trejo. You have to see this. It's okay. awesome. But, you know, so Danny Trejo had been a working actor for for some time prior to this, but it was mostly like television and he had some film roles, but they were pretty small parts. And he always, you know, he played a gang member or a guy in prison. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the man looks the way the man looks and he right. has, you know, he has this way about him. He's a him tough guy. That, yeah, that those roles fit. What I love is that, you know, this, I think, is the movie where people that don't watch things like Mi Vida Loca and Blood In, Blood Out, this is the movie where mainstream America recognized Danny Trejo and said, oh, that guy. Mm -hmm. Because if you ask someone about Desperado, I'm willing to bet, even if they haven't seen it in 10, 15 years, if you ask them about Desperado, one of the things they're going to remember 
is that really hard-looking guy with the throwing knives. Yeah. He speaks not one word, but that character is so iconic, and he just it's just such a great fit for him and he plays the hell out of that facial acting and the like the physical intimidation this is the point where Danny Trejo is positioned to become a household name to be someone recognizable in the mainstream you know and he goes on to do heat and he goes on to do the machete movies mm-hmm. and then he plays he, a janitor he did, he was in spy, spy kids. kids right yeah and he's lovable so lovable yeah, he's always helping he, uni, so he you know? continues. He continues to grow and do new things, and um, he is a delight to follow on social media because mm. he's yeah, just a delightful human. <laughs> he just strikes me as this, a really delightful human being, and he's got an incredible life story. I credit Desperado with being the moment that kind of the world opened up to accept Danny Trejo as an icon, and I mm. will forever be grateful because. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah, it's. I, I rewatched with Daniel Halloween the o, the O uh, nine Rob Zombie one, which which Rob yeah. Zombie I feel like is of the vein of Tarantino and Rodriguez for sure. They're probably all buddies. Um, but Danny Trejo's in that movie, and he yes. was such a sweet guy who cared about Michael, Mikey, and um, oh, man, when he died, I was just like, this isn't right. He should not have died. <laughs> it broke my heart. Hmm. I was so sad. Like it's a Halloween movie. Yeah. I, so yeah. people are gonna die. Most most of the people are gonna die. Like it's you kind know of a that. Killer. But I mean, I just yeah, I love him in that. Yeah. So yeah, Danny Trejo, the 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 role that he plays in this film, I just love it because again, he's just kind of stalking through the streets, watching, looking. He's like a shark. Uh-huh making his way there's a great sequence um when el mariachi has massacred the people in the bar and then he's he's trying to leave but um tito's character has escaped and he's chasing him through the town but they're kind of slow motion moving they're not running and he's you know and he's making his way, and then out of the corner of your eye, you see Danny Trejo as Navajas. Mm-hmm. You see his character, like, kind of half in shadow, and he's stalking, too. But he's waiting to see how it plays out. And you're, like, you don't know who's going to get to El Mariachi first. You know, like, a lot of people are going to die. <laughs> and they're yeah. moving through this crowded street with, like, street vendors, and there's people, and... And they're moving and you're just like, at any moment, this is going to erupt in violence. And you don't know, is it going to be Tito? Is it going to be Danny Trejo? Somebody is going to get it. Yeah. And I just love how he, he's just perfect as this menacing presence that's kind of in the background, always behind you, always right around the corner. He's going to come out into the alley any second now. And you're going to be done for. And I, just, <laughs> I love that. I love it. Yes. Uh, I know exactly the scene. And you got a great Latino song. Just like, a, like it's a ballad just belting. Well, because it's the first time he meets um, Selma Hayek. And, you know, just a buildup of so many things happening all at once. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. movie has a lot of great like individual scenes. Like, you know, you just like, like. You go to movieclips.com and type in Desperado, you're going to see so many really great scenes. Oh, so <laughs> like many. It's simple. so good. 
Yeah. I love when, uh, when his, he calls in his reinforcements. Oh, <laughs> his mariachi buddies. Yeah. Uh, Kampa and Kino and Kampa. I don't know if you did you know that that's the actor that was that El played... Mariachi from the first one, right? Yep, yes. he looks good, he's handsome, he does look handsome good. man in both movies, he aged well. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was only a few years later, but still, he, like, he's, like, yeah. he's I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, it was cool, and it, and it was cool that he was down to do it. I think yeah. he actually is a producer on Desperado, so I mean, he's just a buddy, honestly. He he did produce it, he was in the credits for that, but he's yeah. also just a buddy of Robert. So, talk about you know, supporting your friends, right? Totally. So, like that whole sequence, and we get we mentioned the gadgetry, and this movie has some of the best gadgets. <laughs> so, you've got you've got the guitar case that is really an arsenal. Mm-hmm. You have the very memorable codpiece revolver. Yeah, which they show. They don't even use. But They don't use. But it's pretty obvious where it's supposed to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you don't need to see it in action mm-hmm. to know, like, what that, how that plays out. <laughs> and it's just the thought of it that you're just like, why would you even need that? But... It's just like part of the stapled comedy of this movie. It's just like kind of borderline right. sexual and funny and goofy all at the same time. Ugh. Absolutely. And then, so then you have Kampa and Kino that have, you know, where they have like the, the rocket launcher. Yeah. In the machine gun <laughs> case. Yeah, machine gun in the guitar case. Uh, but it works. Like, of course it's kind of gimmicky and it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like sixties bond level. <laughs> But it works. It's there's something about that the ingenuity, yeah, of these these contraptions that <laughs> it's just so much fun to see. Like, okay, where? Like, what's like, gonna happen? I don't happen? know. Like a rocket launcher guitar case. I don't know where you come up with that, but I'm so glad he did because yes, every time he fun. would strike a pose and shoot it up, I was like, oh yeah, that doesn't God, work. Yeah. But I love that. <laughs> Yeah, because they do. They do like these poses. Like he doesn't just stand there. Like uh-uh. he kind of gets down and he and he points. He has one leg extended, kind of pointing. And oh, it's yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I, I is that your what? What would you say is your favorite scene in Desperado? I know it's hard to choose because there are a lot of great scenes. Yeah, this is. It feels impossible. It's <laughs> a favorite scene. Um, of the action sequences, mm-hmm. my favorite is is. Uh, at that Tarasco bar. Yes. That first major shootout. That's my favorite of the action scenes. It's awesome. I think of the other scene, another favorite is when, um, is the lead up and the, the siege on the bookstore. Yeah. Where he and Carolina are in bed. He's asleep. She's kind of strumming the guitar and very sensually <sighs> singing this little song. Yeah. And she has her eyes closed and he, she thinks he's asleep. He is not asleep. He's awake. He hears people coming and he's like moving. He's got a, a gun in each hand and he's moving the weapons closer and closer and closer together as he's following the shadow of the assailants on the other side of the glass. <laughs> That whole setup is awesome. Yes. Just the way that it moves, um, the way that the tension is building, juxtaposed with like this 
the sweet little sing-songy ballad that Salma Hayek <laughs> is, is doing. That whole sequence is really fun. I just really enjoy it. Um, everything about it, just the way that it builds and the way that it plays out. Because mm-hmm, it looks like he's going to shoot her too and her eyes are closed. Then she opens it. There's two guns, huge guns in front of uh, her. That's whole, <laughs> like It's hilarious, but also like, like the tension is there and the action yeah. sh- like shows up after is just amazing. I love like I like yeah the the Tito bar is amazing. Um, no ways around it because you get you know Tarantino in that, Cheech Marin's funny yeah. in that, and it's just comedy and great action. Um, I also love the scene where he goes to the church because he does it um, again in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He goes into the church and he goes for his confession and it's Steve Buscemi there who's like yeah. cursing at him. <laughs> I love that. And then like the the priest goes like, "Do you need confession, my son?" He's like, "No, because." If I confess now, I'll just have to come right back before I, after what I'm about to do or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> no, church, he's got some great that. lines. That's, and that's awesome. one of the best. Yeah, this movie <laughs> I, is did, very quotable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. I, this movie is, uh, I love it. It's it, it when it comes to like Mexican filmmakers, it's like which I've I've been at least in the last couple of years I've been really appreciating and loving. This movie has to be up there, <laughs> like this and El Mariachi yeah. for sure. Like are like pedestals for me. (laughs) No, absolutely. And this is, I feel like, yes, this is a movie made in the nineties, but I think it's, and maybe you can speak to this, this better. I, I feel like this has aged pretty well. Oh, it's gorgeous. I watch it on a Blu-ray double pack. It's gorgeous. I think it's aged really well. I think because it's a low tech story. Mm Mm-hmm. I think because the setting is supposed to be this sleepy Mexican town where there's not a lot going on, um, I think there's not a lot in here to age badly. It is, in some respects, kind of timeless in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that it, I think that it plays really well after all these years in terms of the way it looks, in terms of the way it feels. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like it's aged well, and I'm, I'm happy to hear that, that it's aged well for you, too. Because I, I always kind of question, I kind of question, am I able to be objective? Because there's a nostalgic factor for me. And, uh. like, can I really say that this is aged well? Because I, I've got my nostalgia goggles on, and maybe I'm not seeing clearly. <laughs> But I really feel like it does. I feel like the action scenes are still really good. They play yeah, really well. Yeah, I, I think it's an easy rewatchable movie. Like I said, I've watched it twice now in the span of a month. Uh, it is a, it is a very very timeless movie. I and now with watching El Mariachi, I could watch that movie anytime too, and it has a perfect runtime. Um, yeah. That's the thing. I I kind of want to go back and watch um, <laughs> Desperado in in in, uh, in Spanish. Because I watch El Mariachi in Spanish because I think that's the only way it comes out. And they speak English yes. in this one. I kind of want to watch it and see if like the voices change because they're obviously Hispanic as well. And I kind of want right. to do that. Yeah, I mean, that. I'm sure if, if they've done a, a Spanish language version, I'm sure that they've dubbed because, I mean, they'd have to. But yeah, mm-hmm. El Mariachi is a Spanish language film, um, which, again, is also pretty incredible for that time for a Spanish language film to get the kind of buzz 
and the kind of critical acclaim that it did because that just you just didn't really see that then mm-hmm. um, yeah one of the things i love about and i think we kind of touched on this a little earlier is that i love that desperado has a real good mix of you know english speaking characters there is conversation in spanish which is not subtitled true true yeah uh, but it's you know it's and it's just part of the film that the they're in Mexico and there are characters that are speaking Spanish and mm-hmm. of course they are. And, and it feels very natural. Um, and you have kind of like that Spanglish feel <laughs> to other parts of it. It bridges um, the just gap. Feels very, yeah. It bridges the gap. It feels very natural. The, as the language moves in and out between Spanish and English, um, that feels, it, it, it feels genuine. Mm-hmm. and natural and and i love that about this movie because you know sometimes you'll watch a movie that's set in another country but then every character speaking english and you're like this doesn't feel very authentic like yeah okay yes as a person who at this point in my life predominantly speaks english i am bilingual um but i definitely speak english more often yeah. it's kind of more become my primary language at this point mm-hmm. so yeah i mean great and and great for anyone who isn't um you know, who, who only speaks English, but there is something nice about kind of this, that how authentic it feels when a story is set somewhere to actually hear the language. And I feel that way about all languages. Like I, not too long ago, you know, I, I watch a lot of TV on top of a lot of movies, <laughs> watch a lot of stuff. Uh, I was watching like some crime drama and it's Welsh and the characters speak English Mm-hmm. And then they also speak Welsh. Now, I don't speak a lick of Welsh. <laughs> I can assure you. But I don't mind subtitles. I'm down to read the subtitles yep. to get that authentic feeling of how people speak mm-hmm. um, in, in their native language, in the language of the location where they are. Like, I, I just, I love the way that feels. Yeah, that's, that's my gripe about, cause I, boy, do I love these Godzilla movies and, you know, I love listening to them in their original Japanese audio because like, I mean, when I've watched them a few times, I'm like, I'm curious, I'll put on the English dubs and ooh, like they are meant to be like, you can watch them dubbed. But like, just right. listen, like listening to the Japanese audio, I'm just like, there's no way in hell I'm going to listen to the dub. And that's just kind of an annoying thing because Godzilla is such a – it bridges, you know, American film with with Japanese cinema. So like a lot of people have actually only seen like the dub versions of Godzilla movies. And right. I'm just like, yeah, it just doesn't – it's just not – I don't like it. <laughs> you know? It's, it's definitely just, a I, personal I totally preference agree. thing. And I mm-hmm. know folks that they don't want to read subtitles. Mm-hmm. And that's fine too. I, I think I love when there's that option. <laughs> yeah. When there's the option, like I, I, you know, Netflix has a lot of international movies and international television programs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that they give you the option of a dub or a subtitle with the original language on yeah. a lot of these, because for folks who would prefer the dub, the English dub, awesome. Go for it. Enjoy that. For those of us who, who are cool with subtitles and would prefer to hear the the original language like i love that that's an option i just love having yeah. options yeah no and <laughs> it's just world. a plus because like i you know being bilingual as well uh, i i read it better than i speak it but yeah. uh so when i'm when i when i listened to like when i was watching el mariachi i was like oh, i don't have to this is nice i don't have to you know read completely all the subtitles <laughs> i can 
Because like yeah, I no, just been totally. going through those Godzilla movies and like the Melville films. So like I've been reading a lot of subtitles lately, and I was like, oh, this is kind of nice to just ease back and not have to closely read everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where you're, you know, it, the subtitles up there if you need it, but mm-hmm. but yeah, you're able to pick up on. Yeah, well, on what I noticed too happening. with El Mariachi, some of the translations were wrong. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, that's not right. But like, it's OK. Like, it's fine. But it's it just one of those things that I thought was kind of interesting. So I'm like, is this with every other subtitle movie sometimes with other languages? It's kind of interesting to think about. I do. Um, yeah, I do think about that. Well, and I, you know, that's the thing about language, right? Like and and as we touched on earlier, so the, the Spanish that's used in 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 Desperado and also in El Mariachi, you know, it's it's the Spanish dialect that's spoken in, you know, in some Mexican communities. And not even that is like homogeneous, like no different parts of Mexico. People have different slang, um, you know, and, and, and that's just within Mexico. If you look at Spanish across central and South America, you'll find different slang, different dialects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of those sound different from, you know, Castilian Spanish from Spain. Oh, and don't so it's got to be difficult. Yeah, it's got to be difficult to translate because co- some of these Spanish things, courses in high school. Yeah, that's it right there. Yeah, it's. I've I've had to explain this to people before when they like, you know, when people find out that you you speak Spanish on on any you know, proficiency, mm-hmm. and then they'll want you to say something, and then you say something, and then they're like, "Well, that's not how they taught me in, <sighs> in Spanish class." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, well, that's Castilian." Like, yeah. <laughs> I like, can I'm only gonna... tell you how we how we spoke at home. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not gonna say gracias, you know, like I'm not right. doing that. <laughs> no, because that's not how we talk. Yeah, we, um, yeah, and th- and that and that's different from community to community, from country to country. Um, but I, I, yeah, I do love that about this film that it 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 weaves all of that together. You mm-hmm. have characters who speak English without much of an accent, or no, you know, or have an American accent. You have characters who are speaking English, but they have a Spanish, a pronounced Spanish accent. You have um, characters who move really fluidly between English and Spanish. Uh, and, and so it's, it's cool because it's, I mean, that's true to life, how people yeah. talk. People are at all different levels of, um, of their language ability and, and how much English or Spanish that they speak. Oh, and, absolutely. And so mm-hmm. uh, now all I need left is Rodriguez to make um, either another mariachi film or uh, another heavy Mexican cast. And I want Diego Luna to be in one because I've been oh, loving be Diego good. Luna. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah. I would be stoked for that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, but no, Carmelito, thank you so much for sharing my enthusiasm with Robert Rodriguez and these movies, because I mean, it's been a minute since like, I've been able to like speak. Well, everyone, like, luckily I know a lot of people like Desperado, but like pushing me to watch El Mariachi finally and just realizing how amazing it is. And then just talking about, you know, the, you know, when you think about it, you know, like you get the, you know, Alfonso Cuarón's and the Del Toro's, you know, Mm -hmm. but you kind of, Stop and think about how many other great actors and directors there are in the Mexican cinema movement. It's just really refreshing um, to talk about that and learn some more from that. So um, thank you so much for for, for doing that for us here. Um, I think we're starting to get right with having you. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> I'd love for you to come back on again. <laughs> I would be honored anytime. Yeah. So what are you going to be up to next? Are you, are you like one of those people when they watch things, like, are you in phases? Are you like binging through some stuff lately? You know, I, I'm very much driven by mood. Okay. I, kinda, I get in moods. And so I'll, I'll come up with like a double feature for the night. And I'm like, tonight I want movies about witches or Ooh. tonight I want movies featuring a particular actor or, you know, so I'll kind of go by theme, by mood, by feel. Um, and then sometimes I'll go down like a rabbit hole where <laughs> I want everything of a particular genre for like a week. Oh boy. So I just kind of, I just kind of feel it out and see yeah. in nowadays in the age of streaming, it's like the world is your oyster. There's, there's so much to choose from. I have all these watch lists <laughs> on different platforms and on yeah. different apps. And it's like, okay, well, which watch list do you even start from at this point? Mm -hmm. Because there's just so much that's out there and it's, yeah, it's kind of tricky. And it's, so I, this happened to me and I post about it on Twitter because I was just so incensed. So for new years, I wanted to watch 200 cigarettes. Because it's set at New Year's. Um, okay. Uh, movie from 1999. Great movie. Very fun. <laughs> I used to own it on VHS. I gifted it to a friend. This year, I just had that, again, that mood, that feeling. I want to watch <laughs> 200 cigarettes on New Year, especially because uh, I was going to be home chilling with my dog and watching movies. And that's what I was going to do. It's not available for streaming anywhere. Oh boy, there it is. <laughs> when you can when you find something that is not available for streaming, like when you come across a title that you want to watch and it's not available, there's like a panic that sets in. And so usually what I would do is I'll, I'll go through my list of like my little video catalog of all my physical media that I own. And I was like, oh my God, I never replaced this. I oh. gifted it and I never replaced it. <laughs> and I was just beside myself oh i'm such a heath holland now i'm such a i'm such a bunker i'm i'm buying my physicals and i'm i'm watching those and yeah. like i'm gonna buy them physically only and i i feel i feel like i'm oh i'm at this point now where i'm like oh i have to buy the physical I, i'm just so panicky like you are when like if you can't yeah, find it streaming. Like, i'm paranoid now and so i we are we're spoiled for choice there's so much that's available through streaming but I don't want to take it. I don't ever want to take it for granted because <laughs> when, when it happens that something is not available for streaming, it's like, what now? I don't. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you the end of that story is I went on eBay and found it on VHS and bought oh, it. Oh, good. Does it not have a DVD or Blu-ray release? Oh, it does. But the DVD copies that I ran across on eBay were going for upwards of $100. Oh, the OOPs. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll keep an eye out for it. I seem, tend to have luck on out-of-print films, so I, I will keep an eye out yeah. on that one. I mean, I have a VCR, and I have no, I, I love VHS. I That's have awesome. A, That's I cool. have a nostalgic love of VHS, so I'm fine with just owning it on VHS for the time being until mm -hmm. someone gets their shit together and puts it out <laughs> and re-releases it. But yeah, so it's, yeah, these days, 
there's a lot to watch and I'm mm -hmm. spending a lot of time doing that. <laughs> good, Maybe good, good. Amount. <laughs> well, I hear on Letterboxd, if you get pro, you can like organize your, your watch list by like streaming services. Like you can like write like your lists, like per streaming service. I think that's a thing with the pro subscription. That's insane. Oh, I have to look. Yeah, if that's the case, like that's insane, like ingenious, but insane. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what do no, I need totally. to watch for Hulu? I could just cancel my subscriptions <laughs> and keep Hulu for the year, for the month, and then watch through these, and then cancel that and move on to the next one on my watch list or whatever. Oh, totally. no, that's smart. I, yeah, I I don't know. I I I I hate to spend money on streaming that's like on multiple streaming because then I'm like, oh, well, this fifteen dollars is sitting here with a plethora of movies that I can't be watching right now because I'm watching something else on another streaming i don't know it gets overwhelming and it, it, it's a it makes for good conversation that's for sure <laughs> with my friend because it's like at one point i'm like oh streaming is amazing but then on my other hand i'm like oh, I'm, I'm just a collector like i need the physical parts of it but then i'm right. like oh, but that's expensive too i don't know it just becomes yeah a, that's expensive well and i'll tell you i moved apartments a couple months ago mm -hmm. and when it came time to pack up oh. all my physical media <laughs> and move it that was the moment where I was like, man, this is, it's eye -opening. this is a commitment. This is, yeah. this is a commitment. If you I don't know. own your I have own like home. A, I have like a list of movies where I'm like, these are the ones that I can go, but it keeps growing. And I'm like, oh man, maybe it's, maybe streaming is where I need to be right now with some of these. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big fan of balance. I'm a big fan of, um, balance in the, in the <laughs> balance yeah. in the force. Right. Well, for those listening, these are good tips. Like these are good movie collecting tips. If there's anything I love to do is like share those things. So I'll have to keep it, keep in mind with the streaming services, uh, aspect like that fear. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. The panic was just, oh, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I cannot abide. I had, I had that experience recently too, with, um, pump up the volume. Uh, you're better film watcher than me. Cause like, I don't know these movies, but you know, you do. And I'm like, darn, I need to catch up. <laughs> I mean, they're out there. You've, you've got your whole life ahead of you, my friend. <laughs> and hopefully, hopefully they'll start re-releasing some of this stuff or making it available digitally for streaming. And then it'll be like a click of a button and you'll be able to experience all of these 80s and 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is big growing, like blowing up again. Like Kino yeah. is putting out a lot of these. Like I watched Doc Hollywood for the first time through streaming because I was interested in the Kino. And uh, that's like a early 90s movie. Oh, and I'm yeah. so glad I watched it before I bought it. But it's like, oh, this is a new added catalog movie. And then there's more and more. It's like the 90s, I feel like, I feel like are kind of, you know, blowing up again. <laughs> Oh yeah. No, I mean, and everything comes back. That's yep. the nineties kind of babies. The, way the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Carmelita, thank you so much for being on here. Seriously. Like this was like a lot of fun. I'm very, I'm already kind of trying to think what's going to be a movie that I can like, you know, rope you into coming back on here for. <laughs> Cause like, oh, I think absolutely. I'd love it anytime. Yeah. So like, I, I don't want to even get you started on horror right now. Uh, Cause that would be good just for a whole other episode. <laughs> but uh, I really do appreciate you being on here. Um, and where can people follow you? So I am on Twitter a lot and letterboxed <laughs> same handle, which is at Carmelita says. Yes. And please check it out. Uh, 
she you're up there with like Lindsay for me, Lindsay Wilkins, where like you're updating your letterbox so often. And I'm like, ah, oh, I need to get organized and do that. Like seriously. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I'm um, a list maker. So the app is is just really like a fancy list. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I need to get on that. So <laughs> I'm so bad about it. But uh yeah, I really encourage everyone who's listening to to follow Carmelita and most people already are. So um I'm I'm so again happy that you um were able to come on here and share your love for Desperado with me. So, but no, my name is Chris here at Inside the Sequel. And uh, if you like sequel movies, I definitely think you should tune in again for um, our next episode and definitely listen to our previous episode that we had. Also, speaking of Lindsay, where we ended the year with uh, The Godfather 3, the coda of Michael Corleone. Um, Love that than, episode. Thank you. Yeah, it was a fun one. Uh, but if you uh, this, I want to leave you all with this. If you're not watching Robert Rodriguez movies, I am convinced you don't care about cinema. <laughs> so, but other than that, we will see you next time.